Hey there, I'm Christopher Schoenwald, and welcome to Life As A, a show intently focused on helping people find their professional pathway by exploring and unearthing the details of jobs from around the world. For listeners who have been tuning in regularly, you've probably noticed I've got this little spiel off the top where I'm asking people to go over to YouTube. I have a channel over there, Life As A, dot, dot. And basically, it's just highlights from the main audio versions, from the podcast versions of these talks that I have with these great guests. And the reason I'm plugging it so hard is that I think this content really does matter. And I want to get it in front of people. I want to get in front of youth, people that are still undecided, who just don't know what they want to do with their lives. And I think this platform, you know, One YouTube, offers that opportunity kind of get up close and personal with some of these guests in a different format. And if you're just not into audio, if you're not into podcasting as a whole, that's fine. That's okay. Well, you can still digest the content in a different way. I would encourage you, if you do know somebody who's looking for that career, looking for some ideas, direct them over to lifeasa.dot over on YouTube. You know, if they're into videos, they might just find what they're looking for over there. And while you are there, hey, I would always appreciate a like or subscribe. It's the best way to let that algorithm know that the content matters, that it should be put in front of others. Well, I do thank you for letting me ask this of you, but I think it's about time we get into today's episode. What do you do, professionally speaking, with a background in biochemistry, genetics, toxicology, and a slant towards achievement and helping others fully optimize their personal and professional lives? Well, you naturally team up with a like-minded soul and launch a health and performance-minded organization which harnesses the latest technology, science, and performance learnings to deliver cutting-edge health optimization services. Yeah. This is a very brief overview of our guest today. Her name is Rachel Kelly of a company she co-owns and operates called Taylor Health and Performance and Taylor Technologies. This conversation covers a lot of ground. For example, we're going to step into the world of biotech and learn what that's all about. You're also going to get this firsthand look at her business and the services they offer. And we even get to trace her pathway into entrepreneurship and her reflections and thoughts on that experience. And plus, Rachel shares what it's like co-owning and operating a business with your life partner. I mean, these are just a few topics, but rest assured, we dive into much more. However, I think it's about time that we do kind of get into things here. So let me more formally introduce Rachel to you, and we can jump into things. Rachel Kelly is a scientist, strategist, high-tech product developer, and commercialization professional who has spent the last 22 years in the science and technology sector. She is also the co-CEO of New Zealand biotech startup Tailored Technologies, leveraging advanced technologies to discover and harness the boundaries of human potential and creating the world's first human instruction manual. Now, rewinding a bit here, in 2006, Rachel moved to California to work for a Fortune 150 biotech high-tech manufacturing company where she led, managed, and grew multi-million dollar business units within the USA, Southeast Asia, Central Asia, Middle East, and Africa. And she returned to New Zealand in 2014 and has been heavily involved with stimulating the regional and national technology ecosystem. Rachel is a co-founder of the Waikato Technology Cluster, 
former deputy chair of New Zealand Tech, former elected member on the New Zealand Artificial Intelligence Forum Executive Council, and former ministerial advisor on the Digital Council of Aotearoa, New Zealand. Rachel has worked with award-winning and innovative tech startups, including Cohired and Nereid, and led Gallagher's Enterprise Security Division as Chief Product Officer. So with all of this noted, here's my conversation with Rachel Kelly. Yeah, so welcome to the program. How are you doing today, Rachel? Yeah, I'm doing well, thank you. How about yourself, Christopher? Yeah, excellent. Looking forward to this conversation. You know, we've been kind of going back and forth for a little while on it. And uh, yeah, really enjoyed the research. And yeah, as I said, excited to get into it all with you today. Well, I do have this segment here, Coloring Wikipedia. As my listeners know, it's a segment where I read off a definition of something related to what the guest does. And I have you down here for biotechnology. So let me just read that off. Let me forewarn you as well that it is a bit wordy, and I'm hoping you can maybe add a little bit more clarity and insight to it. But anyway, biotechnology, here goes. Biotechnology is a multidisciplinary field that involves the integration of natural sciences and engineering sciences in order to achieve the application of organisms, cells, parts thereof, and molecular analogs for products and services. Now, really quickly, if I'm not within this biotechnology space, which certainly I'm not, and a lot of my listeners probably aren't, they might be wondering what the heck they just heard there. So maybe you could kind of break that down and also maybe add some of your own experiences and insights based on, you know, your career and and what you've been part of. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the simplest way to do this is to break down the two words. So bio is shortened for biology. And then technology is obviously technology. But the simplest way to derivate the word technology is around tool. Like it's a a set of tools that have been either man-made, human-made, woman-made, whatever, or natural world has made to infer some type of benefit or action. So when you kind of put the two together, what it really means is how are you harnessing the natural order of biology and some of our man-made sort of tools or ideas and kind of merging them together in a way that solves a problem or enhances either side, either biology or the technology side to create a bigger impact or outcome that serves serves people or an environment. I like that. I like that. I think you should be rewriting that that Wikipedia entry. <laughs> I've seen so many, like, it seems to be this just buzzword bingo, like many things out there, like the word AI or the, the phrase AI or blockchain or whatever it might be. It's another sort of buzzword that's really come up. And all it is, is just harnessing the the, the natural sciences, the biology that we have already in a way, um, not even us, just it could be natural world organisms like yeast or fungi or whatever it might be, and harnessing what they naturally do to create some type of tool or vice versa. Yeah. And like I said, I love that. And just, it, it adds perspective and it breaks it down in such a way that you can kind of wrap your mind around it. So yeah, thanks for that. In terms of, I guess, your experiences within that space, we're probably going to get into that, you know, shortly, but maybe you could add a few more insights in in terms of what you've been involved in, or maybe give a a bit of a preview to to listeners in in your involvement within biotechnology. Yeah. So, I mean, my foray into biotech, it really just drums down to like, I own a body. We all own a body. Like it is (laughs) actually one of the most remarkable tools we will ever own. And actually, the only thing we will truly own in this world is the thing that we walk around in. And I think from a very early stage, like I must have been about eight or nine, I noticed my sister and her like mood swings 
just, I was like, who is this person <laughs> that is now sharing a room with me? And I literally had my little notebook and I started to kind of like document day by day what her moods were doing. Very early age, I was really interested in a sort of this mix of observing the natural world and reflecting upon what it actually meant on a day-to-day living basis. I did that all the way to, you know, as a bored child in front of a, a TV show, I would sit down and I would literally time how long the ads were. Wow, wow. In, in the show that I'm watching, also categorize like what kind of ads were they? How did they differ between childhood programming and like Star Trek programming? Like mm. how did they differ? And so, and then how did my body, how did my mind respond to that? And so really early on, I was like, okay, how does my body and my mind interface and people I love interface with the world that we live in? And so again, this is, this is just bio, this is biotech or it's bio curiosity. It's like, how do we understand the very thing that we are charged with, which is this ownership of this body? How does that truly interface without the world around us? And so my foray into biotech, if you want to kind of put a name on it, you know, started out really early, but it starts also with that bio curiosity. And then how does that read into to our lives? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a word right there. Curiosity. That was just kind of like blinking in my mind when I was just listening to you speak there. I mean, wow. Yeah. I can certainly see how, you know, the, the connection and, and passion behind all that would have led you down this path potentially. And again, we're going to get into this shortly, but before we do, Returning to the present and your involvement within tailored technologies, tailored health and performance, maybe you could shed a, a bit of insight in terms of the work that you guys do right now before we go too much further. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my formative years, particularly in my bachelor's and my master's, have been in life science. So genetics, biochemistry, forensic toxicology, that kind of world. And so I had quite a passion into understanding the the smallest component of biology to, to understand the bigger component of biology and how it built up into our, our bodies and, and what we do. Where the tailored health came from or the tailored technologies is the play on the word tailored. So it's my business partner's last name is Luke Taylor. So he had the tailored health for about 10 years prior to me meeting him. And so I actually met him when I was a chief product officer for a large multinational security company. So I was charged with their enterprise security division. Um, It was a big role for me. I finally got, you know, the big C-suite title, the nice big office, the the car, all of the things that you kind of aspire to when you are a young person, particularly for me, a young female in the technology world and often the only female in the room. And so for me, this was a really big deal. And because of my interest in in biology and genetics and all those things, and I, I wasn't feeling the best. So I was like, something is up with my health, but I want to be the best version of myself for my team and in this role. I had a big vision for the security world. I wanted to change the narrative between big brother of security and loving mother or loving mm. father. Like how do we build the security infrastructure that keeps people safe? What about security and being in people's private space, but it's like, actually, you know, how are we keeping people and things safe? And so I had this big vision and I was like, I've got this amazing team. How do I become the leader I was born to be? And so I actually met Luke at a, like a leadership course. 
And he was in the health and performance world. He worked with a lot of high performance athletes, some members of the New Zealand All Blacks, um, a variety of other New Zealand athletes. And I, I sort of proposed to him, I was like, hey, I've got this sort of genetics biochemistry background. You've got this like human optimization education and commercial background. If I secure a little stipend through my my role to help me with my health and my performance, would you be willing to help create kind of a program to help unlock parts of me that I hadn't had access to and to become that amazing leader? And so what kind of amounted to that is we started to you know, do clinical diagnostics. I hooked myself up to you know, a wearable, a couple of wearables, actually. Uh, the clinical diagnostics included genetics, like urine analysis, hormone analysis, stool, all, all sorts of things. We actually spent a lot of money on clinical diagnostics because I just wanted to get a snapshot. Just to know where you're at. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't change anything if I don't know where my set point is. And, and then also looking at other kind of augmentive like technologies that could help enhance my practices in ways that were more suitable for time poor people like myself. And so over the course of around three months, I kind of overhauled everything after I did the tests and after I got the results. And we were like, okay, step by step, we started to take away certain things or add certain practices. And after around six months, I just experienced significant changes to my body. Um, My stomach and general, my my digestive system was working better. I had struggled with chronic cystic acne since I was 17. Like you would not believe it's something I could not get rid of without antibiotics or um, isotretinoids, rocutane. And I was just like, this is not my way to live. And so after three to six months, I started seeing some pretty big differences in how my body worked. And I just, I could not believe what was happening. And I started to question my ego. I started to question how I was showing up in the world. A lot of the sort of, I hate the word trauma because it's used so flippantly, but I started to question the patterns that I kept repeating or the things that would emotionally like flare me up and took a step back and really observed and together with the people I was working with, at Luke's company, it was like, I started to encourage like deep questioning and inquisition of who I was and how I thought. And pretty quickly, I realized that for me, this role actually wasn't right for me. The people, the culture, I won't talk too much about that because I understand there's two sides to every every experience, but I, I found very quickly that I didn't actually belong at this company. So I actually, I resigned and I thought, you know what, if I could start to build a product that we'd been kind of like toying with it, the tailored health side, I think we could help more people. And so that's kind of where the journey of tailored health came from. And then because of my product development tech background, we established tailored technologies to start to truly do more R&D. And, and do this line of inquisition and experiment with new technologies that is in the equine world or in the gaming world or whatever it would be to see if we can more powerfully nudge certain like health practices in a way that created more magnitude to that effort with less time. And so that's kind of what we created and we're still creating. And the ultimate goal is to help 
people become who they're born to be. And if that means they want to be the best leader, then let's create, you know, an environment or a practice that helps you become the leader you were born to be. If you want to be the most amazing dad at home, all right, let's help you do that. Let's help you feel so much better for longer so you can play with your kids and be, you know, have your cognition, have have the energy to run around with them and your grandkids. And so that's really what formed the tailored experience and tailored life. And from a commercial perspective, tailored health and tailored tech help us do that. Yeah, I love that. You know, one of the things I was thinking about as you're you know, explaining all of this was this notion of how sometimes like we put ourselves in these like categories, these pillars almost like, hey, this is my professional world. This is my personal world. But obviously, like the overlap is there. If you're not feeling good in either of those two realms, it's going to there's like a rub off. There's going to be an influence there, certainly. So if you can find ways of optimizing and feeling great and feeling healthy and, and a lot of vitality, of course, that's going to help you within your professional sphere. Of course, that's going to help you, as you're just saying, you know, within, within your personal space, with your family, and so on and so forth. So I like that idea right there. And we're going to get into this later, but how you go about doing this, how you help leaders transform themselves so they can be the best versions of themselves, you know, and, and ultimately be giving back or working up to their potential within the, the companies or within their own businesses. So yeah, I, I get it all. And it's one of the things that really drew me to this conversation in the research. I really enjoyed learning more about. But before we get into that, I do have this other segment here, A Day in the Life. And maybe we could hear, this is a near impossible question, almost always, especially for entrepreneurs. I know this. <laughs> I'm still going to ask it anyway, though. You know, what would be a typical day or even week for you in your role at present within both of those you know, operations that you're involved in? Mm. There's a wonderful life quote that says, life is what happens when you make, you're busy making other plans. That's exactly what being an entrepreneur is like. <laughs> Your business kind of happens while you're busy making other plans. Uh, like, so for example, I, I love to kind of like have my strategy for the week and what my kind of core big rocks are. But I can tell you when I think that something's going to look like, like a day is going to look like a certain thing where I'm focusing on this part of the business or this particular strategy or this initiative, having a meditation at this time or whatever, like more often than not, there's some fire that needs to be put out. Like, for example, we have a, a client who is doing a full clinical diagnostics process. He's locally as well, which is nice. He's a, actually a professional athlete and he's young. So we work with, all ages. And I actually really love working with teenagers that are doing professional athletics because we'll probably get to it later. I felt like when I was a New Zealand athlete, if I had more insight and more targeted guidance to them all the way down to my genetics, I feel like I could have been a better performer and I would have overcome a lot of the implications later on in my life for like overdoing it and not being mindful of that. But like yesterday, for example, I came off a week off. I actually took a week off because I'm just trying to manage a burnout experience, but I'm I'm good. I'm much better now. But yesterday I was supposed to be like easing into it, talking to my virtual EA about my week, et cetera, et cetera. And then I had two big dramas. The guy that we're working with for the clinical diagnostics, he had a bit of a moment because he was like, I don't know, you know, I've collected all my samples, but they're not frozen in time. Like just little things that seem super simple, but end up being actually quite problematic around shipping to the lab and all these kind of things. And then he couldn't get it to the courier and he didn't, he didn't email to get the courier pick up in time. And of course we've got a time clock on these samples. You've got literally seven days before the sample expires. 
And so my afternoon was literally going to pick up the samples, check all of his practitioner information had been filled out correctly, correct a lot of that, and then dropping that off at the courier, which seems like the most bizarre thing to have to do. But in that moment, that was kind of the most logical thing because he doesn't own a car. He's young. He doesn't own a car. And so I'm just like, how, how is it random, that I'm being a random activity? That you <laughs> yeah, long, long answer to your question. But I think what nails it is you think you know what you're going to be doing within the week and you do your best to plan out the chunks of focus. But there's always something that pops up that does keep you on your toes, which is actually one of the nice parts about being an entrepreneur and having your own business, but it can be very disruptive, which of course is the kind of shadow of, of that, that fun part or that interesting novel part of your day or week. Certainly. What, what would you say are your main roles? Like if you're putting it down on paper and, you know, somebody wanted to know exactly what your main responsibility or your task would be, what, what would you say to that? Yeah. So my business partner and I, so Luke is my business and life partner. We kind of divvy up based on our strengths. So we, I'm, I'm a big fan and there's plenty of profiling companies out there. So this is just the one I found intuitively most successful to me and my teams. And that's Gallup Strength Finder. There's 34 strengths. The top five are kind of like your magic, right? It's the thing that lights you up. It gives you energy. You feel invigorated doing these things. And as you progressively go down the list, you basically get more depleted. So if you have a role that functions at your bottom 10, you're probably going to burn out quite fast because it's just, you find it depleting. You're like, oh, this is my version of hell. Why do I have to keep doing these tasks? So Luke and I have done this. We've revisited it every like five, well, for me, five years. And we kind of like spider map it. So I have my rank list. He has his rank list. And then I connect the dots. So I see where maybe his strength is actually number 34, like my absolute Weakness is not the right word, most depleting activity. And so that way we kind of like juggle the work where we trade in energy. So you can offset you, a little bit, you, right? You played it, yeah, played each other's yeah, strengths, so, really, is what it, it comes down to. Yeah. Really. Kind of, yeah, helping yep. each other out. Yep. And so for me, my strengths include a strategy, ideation. I'm really creative. So I'll do a lot of the creative work or at least guide that arranging or maximizing. So what do we need to do from a product or project management perspective? Who do we need to bring on board as a part of like a virtual assistant team or contract work? Whereas Luke is a magician in like partnerships, big, big picture, kind of like looking at the latest science, the latest technology, what's coming in more of sort of the operational side of things. And and then also being my coach, like He's my performance coach. So it's like we have this really beautiful complementary skills that that actually we do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, yeah, really dynamic relationship there. And that's a question I'm going to have, you know, in a few minutes here. We'd like to get into that a little bit further. But uh, but before we do, shifting over into one more segment here, uh, before we get into a Q&A, this Pathways segment, you already kind of shared some of your background and certainly that, that notion of curiosity comes across loud and, and clear. But also, too, you'd mentioned about your time as an athlete in your youth, I think maybe in your teens, this world-class gymnast or, you know, evolving into one. 
And when I was researching you in this YouTube video where you're speaking about this experience, I could see the connection between that experience, what you went through as this gymnast and, and, and pushing yourself to the limits, essentially, and what you've become right now and the type of work that you do. But maybe you could kind of fill in the gaps for listeners really quickly. Well, I think the best kind of life is one where you make sure no one goes through your own suffering because you actually know the frustration points at that age and stage, and it's a lonely place. There's actually a really beautiful saying that the formative story of both villains and heroes are the same. It's pain. They both have pain. The difference between heroes and villains, and I'm not suggesting I'm a hero, but this is just how the the kind of story unfolds, is that the difference between a hero and villain is a hero says, the world was hard on me, but I want to make sure no one else has to go through that. Whereas a villain will say, the world was hard on me, I'm going to be hard on the world. And so the difference is the villain will be used by pain, whereas the the hero will use pain to change things for others. And so I, I suppose we all have our little origin stories and the things that light us up because we're like, that's something I wish I would have seen changed. So to get back to your question, I started gymnastics when I was seven, which is quite old. Like I'm, I'm not an Olympic gymnastic, but I did represent my country for two years. That's something. Um, <laughs> That's something. Yeah. Which, you know, I, I, I worked really hard and I'm really proud of myself for that, that chapter. And there's lots of good lessons learned. But I, I think the interesting part was, you know, I lived in a little place called Hamilton. It's not that little, but in context to the world, it's, it's relatively little. And I was this gymnast. I was a firecracker, right? I was doing all the hard moves. I had a lot of energy. I was just abundantly vibrant around using my body. And my mom got me into gymnastics. I was playing tennis as well, a whole bunch of things. But for gymnastics, I was in this little church. Like literally we had, we had gutted out the church. We leased the church, had this little like tumbling strip on one side had, you know, like three or four beams. We had uh, asymmetric bars and that's pretty much it. I was training in this little tiny place with this kind of local coach who was amazing. He was like my second dad growing up, competing with these gymnasts that had custom facilities, like the best equipment, the best coaches, most access to to stuff they need to be the best version of themselves as as an athlete. And I was often like sixth, always like sixth at the, you know, not quite at the top, never at the top, never at the bottom, somewhere in the middle. But no matter how hard I tried, it was just like, honestly, I would, I would just work so hard. And it wasn't until I got into the New Zealand team the first time and I started to have the the coach from our major metropolitan Auckland who basically coached the, the the big teams, that she started to open my eyes to, to different ways of doing things and training at these bigger facilities that I started to notice my performance increased dramatically. And by the time I got to kind of my final year and, and competed in Hong Kong, I was probably like the best version of myself when it came to that. I won silver medal on bar. At that point, I was getting probably a bit too tall to fit into the floor routines. Just I couldn't tumble 
well enough being as tall as I was. And, and so I had to retire. But I think the key part and what I learned from that and knowing what I know now is I was training in this little tiny church. What would happen? What would have happened? And I did actually really well, like, yeah, considering yeah. better as I went and I got to third and second sort of towards the end of, of my, my career. But like, what would have happened if I actually got to train properly? If I actually had better nutrition? If I actually had a more attuned coach to a young developing body doing really hard things? Because by the time I finished my ferritin, so I was so anemic that like my ferritin was a four when you're supposed to be a 20. Like there were so many things that I was doing that weren't helping me. And then my mom, do not get me started. My mom's amazing. She was there in every single competition, full day weekends, tra- you know, taking me to training. So this isn't a dig at my mom, but she had three other kids. And so oftentimes I would have McDonald's after training. Right. Three times a week, sometimes. Now that was the best, best feeling. <laughs> kid, right? right? Yeah, exactly. You're you're in heaven, you maybe at that point. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like it was a dream, but from a from a growing, developing body that had so much tax on the system. And my brothers would just eat any leftovers, right? So they didn't care. Like, I just think, what could that have looked like if I had a very different environment? And I almost feel like by default, we're all training in a church. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Like imagine what we could be if we were fully equipped with the knowledge, with the, the information, the wherewithal, you know, what could we actually become? And it's, it's a beautiful metaphor, really, you know, like for, for this and thinking about all of this and obviously like how it translates and connects up to what you're doing right now and the types of services that you offer presently. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that drives me and what disappoints me the most is when you just see untapped potential. And I think the reason why we're working mostly with leaders, that we could be working with everyone, is because Luke and I look around and we don't like where the world's heading or where it is. And while we could work with people off the street, which is there's nothing wrong with that either, we firmly believe that if we can try to lift the watermark of executive thinking and like leadership capability and capacity because they actually have the energy to lead gracefully and with honor and have energy over for their families. Like we would actually have better decision-making at board level. And so for the work we do, how do we target the most influential people in a way that lifts the right people? Now, right is a very loaded word because who are we to know who right is? But if we find the right people with the right mission, with the right passion, with the right moral compass, and we can lift them through our technology and our programs, then we are doing our part to try to make the world a better place. I like that. I like that. Yeah, it makes sense. If, if you're a leader and you're under stress, intense stress, of course, your decision making is going to be affected by all of that. And when your company is on the scale where it's affecting hundreds of thousands or maybe even millions of people with a product or service, yeah, you can see the connection there. And uh, I, I really like that. I really like that insight. But before we go further into your company, I do want to slide into this other segment here, Rachel, a Q&A discovery. You can kind of continue this back and forth. And I want to return to this talking point of, you know, your, your life partner, Luke, who, spoiler alert, is going to be on Life As A. And I want to share with listeners here, part of our correspondence and leading up to this, you know, we'd been introduced through a mutual friend and I, you know, reached out to you and inquired about your 
and one availability and interest in coming on, you kind of had this counter proposal, which was to have Luke on the program as well. And in our correspondence, if you wouldn't mind me sharing this, you have this, this, this little blurb here that I found was really quite compelling. And I just want to read that off if that's okay. Sure. I think there's such power in respecting that great vision requires amazing support. A lot of young people feel they have to do it all themselves, which I think is a fallacy and feeds into burnout. Some of the most unwell and unhappy people I meet are either startup founders or CEOs. Again, I really found that quite compelling. And maybe you could expand on the sentiment a little bit for us. Mm, yeah, I think when you get to a certain level in business or in your career, or even in growth and development, it becomes really lonely for one. And to have a champion or to have a soundboard or to have someone who actually radically supports your growth really helps you to unlock more of yourself. And I keep talking about the, you know, using the word unlock because at the end of the day, like, isn't, if life isn't about like unlocking parts of yourself you didn't know existed, that seems like a pretty boring life. Like if that's not the purpose (laughs) to kind of keep growing and like exploring this magical, magical mind, body world and life you have. And so I think, again, when you get to that point, you've got to take a lot of responsibility. It often, the buck stops at you. You're often pushing the boundaries of not only the norm, but also who you are often overworking, often have a vision that not many people can follow sometimes. So having a sidekick or partner, whether it be your a best friend or it's a like a parent, or in my case, it's my partner who actually understands or is willing to understand, hold space for your situation. Literally ask you like, did you want to just talk about it? Or did you actually want me to help you? Like to give you what you need and to have the communication to kind of engage in a meaningful way helps you feel less lonely for one. For two, I think, and the reason why I I raised that point, Christopher, is not only because there's actually a phrase that says uh, the guy who ran my company or the company, the Fortune 150 company in California that I worked with for a long, long time, um, he said the air up here is really thin, you know, when you actually get to that level where it's quite hard to breathe. And so to be able to continually support your partner or support your mentor, um, vice versa, is actually how you both kind of breathe easier. And so that's important. And I, I feel often with influencers and, you know, the the highlight reel that we often see you don't often see the supporting role or the supporting actor. And I I think that's possibly the most divisive, unhealthy, just threatening to your own sanity assumption than is anything because, again, you, you need that support. We're not built to be a lighthouse by ourselves. I really like that. Really, really, really. I think it's helpful. It's, it's a different look at entrepreneurship. You know, I think there's this sort of vision that people have where it's just like this solo entrepreneur who's constantly like busting through and, and, and doing all these amazing things. But like you said, I mean, there's oftentimes like a support network for the ones that are successful. There's more times than not a support network in behind that, all of that. And there has to be like all these contextual factors that influence 
know, how well a person is able to achieve, you know, whether or not they're feeling emotionally capable or, you know, physically, intellectually, all these things, like all of that comes into play. One other quick question, though, I imagine like there must be moments as well where it could be a bit of a challenge because you know each other so intimately, where maybe you push each other's buttons inadvertently, or maybe there's days where you are kind of like, you know, jabbing each other here and there. Could you speak to that point as well without prying too deeply, of course? Yeah, no. Um, I mean, we focus a lot on communication and we have this term called dust, like make sure the dust doesn't build up. So when we have kind of like a little slight or a little comment that did kind of fly very well, we call that dust. And so we try to do daily dusting. And if there's something that is mentioned in the moment where it was a bit like a snide comment or we're both really tired or whatever it might be, then we might raise it later when we're both kind of in a more calm place. Hey, I noticed, uh, or when you said this, it really made me feel bad. Like I, I didn't, I know that's not what you intended, but I just wanted to be able to voice it and clear the dust. We also have a scale ranking. I think it was Brené Brown that recommended this with her partner, but we have a gas tank analogy. We are a hundred is full, zero is empty. And so to help, again, a lot of the time is to try to avoid conflict, like as in build up mechanisms or tools to help avoid it. Or if you do have it, what techniques and tools and language do you have to resolve it quickly? So the tank analogy is really helpful because if I see he's struggling, I say, what's your number? And he might say, I'm a 20. And in partnership, whether it be business or in life, you've got to try to add up to 100 to run a life <laughs> and, to, and to kind of support each other. And so if I'm like, ooh, I'm at a 30, that only totals 50. So then we have to ask each other, all right, what can I do that doesn't tax me more to support you? Or what do we need to do as a partnership to bring in more delegation to help backfill the last 50? And then if we see each other at a low tank too often, and we have this phrase that we try to hold ourselves to, is if we're not laughing or having fun regularly, we need to recalibrate. So if we find ourselves like low tank too often, then we like, okay, what needs to change? What are we doing that continues to erode us individually and us as a partnership, whether it be business or romantic relationship? And that that prompts the hard questions. And so I know that didn't specifically answer your question around, you know, what conflict do you guys have? But I think that's how we kind of navigate it without even realizing it. Because we've done that right from the very beginning, even as friends, because we were really good friends for a wee while. And so we started that really early. And I think that's probably what felt so effortless that we just, we just meshed. And that doesn't mean we don't have conflict. It just means we have better mechanisms to address it straight away or ensure that we put, we implement things to actually diffuse the issue on the relationship or partnership generally. Yeah. I like that. I like that insight and communication, you know, it's right there loud and clear, you know, once again, I mean, in terms of like optimizing, optimizing that relationship, getting the most out of it, making sure that you're treating each other with respect, you're fully engaged within the business, but then also the personal side as well. And it all comes down to communication and it kind of leads into the work that you're doing. I can see the rub off there, you know, optimizing. And again, this is a word that keeps coming to mind. As far as Taylor Technologies, Taylor's Health, you know, and the promotional materials, here's another question I'm leading into, by the way. 
promotional materials that, you know, I was going through when I was prepping for this, there was something really quite compelling that uh, was written. And I just want to read that off for listeners. And maybe you could comment on this in terms of your mission and what you're, you're after and what you're trying to do. And it reads as follows. We're on the cusp of a leadership 3.0 journey where the fusion of advanced biotechnology, personalized health insights, and transformative leadership principles will usher in an era of leaders who are as biologically optimized as they're emotionally and intellectually equipped. A lot to unpack there, but maybe you could help us out with that. So if you can imagine in your mind's eye a little person, so Some people of the listeners will be great at this. Others, I know people don't necessarily think in shapes, but just bear with me here. So if you think about a little person, stick figure in your mind, and you can think about three circles. The first circle is encapsulating the body. So the body of the stick figure. Second circle is capturing just the brain. So the the head And then the third circle is capturing the whole thing. So an environment around that. And what we found is, okay, so from the the circle, that first circle, if we give the body all its raw materials that it needs to function, is we can get your body working like a Formula One car. It's, It's been built beautifully to whiz and like the little gears to whiz and and were like like a symphony like most of us are walking around with Toyota Camry bodies where things aren't working very well the gears aren't flying well they're a bit chunky or not well greased and that's largely a genetic thing genetics a funny thing we often talk about genetics as being a hard-coded book which is just you know, it forms the alphabet of your body. The alphabet forms sentences or words and sentences. And then that's what your your whole life, your body reads from. But the bizarre thing is, and this is where I get to the head part, right? How you think and those ongoing routines or programs will actually turn off and on certain genes. Your mind will actually change the letters and words available for your your life to write your book. And so when we think about actually the the beauty, the beautiful dance between the mind and how the body unfolds, they're actually so intertwined. And we see that with the fact that there there are thinking cells in not only your head, but around your heart and in your gut. That's why we have always talked about like gut instinct or what does your heart feel? You know, what what is in your heart? We actually have thinking cells in these parts of our body. And so the more we can try to plug our brain and our thinking back into our body, when you've got the right raw materials and and what you eat, it actually works beautifully. Like there's this gorgeous coherence that happens that allows people to think more clearly with more context to their lens because everybody sees their life and things through their own lens. They don't see reality, it's their truth. And so it helps people think more clearly around other people's truths and their lens. So it, it changes how they engage into the world and also helps them basically have the energy they need to deliver their life's work. There it is. Yeah. So, and then the third circle, right? The the big circle. So this is also how the genes interrelate with our environment. 
So the foods you eat, the environmental toxins you're exposed to, the type of relationships you have, your overall behaviors, whether you sleep well or exercise, all actually feed back into the genes to turn genes on or off as well. And so I think we often kind of walk around thinking our head is the main thing that's important and our body's kind of a taxi driver for our brain. Reality is, is what creates leadership 3.0 or human 3.0 is a respect that these three circles exist simultaneously. And you have to acknowledge and respect and build each of those areas to create a whole human that is the kind of ancestor our future needs. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I mean, like that's healthcare 3.0 right there. What it should be, what we should be evolving to. And and maybe you'd have better, I'm sure you have better insight on this than, than most, but do you feel as though that's where we are headed? Things are going in that direction now? Obviously, like what you guys are, are doing is part of that movement, part of that push, because it just makes sense. Like the way you explained it there makes complete sense. This is what we should have had in place like years ago. Obviously, the technology wasn't there, but we still could have had like this this vision of where we wanted it to go and, and, and counting all of these different, again, contextual factors and, and accounting for them and how they affect us biologically speaking, how they affect us emotionally speaking, intellectually speaking. It just makes too much sense. It's almost flabbergasting in the sense that we haven't been doing this. We've had a certain level of technology that we could have been addressing some of this you know, years earlier. But A lot of this is in ancient wisdom and indigenous cultures. Like the sad part, it's, it's almost like we're – we're returning to our our wisdom. I feel like what happened is when we have had our villages, we had our shamans, we had our indigenous environments, they seem to intuitively know and understand what was required to find this spiritual body-mind connection. And at the time, we probably had foods, food sources, soil construct that had true nutrition in it, right? Our livestock would have been eaten from the grass that had soil that had, you know, highly nourished a lot of nutrients in it. And so from a evolutionary perspective, what's ironic is we've kind of gone from this kind of village wisdom environment. And we've it's almost like we've said, you know what, we want to expand out and become more individual. And in our quest for individualism and quest for science, it was kind of like because there wasn't any science to explain why some of this ancestral indigenous things worked, we kind of like said, no, that's not what we want to do. And so I think now we're coming back and saying there's actually a lot of wisdom because a lot of science is coming back to Eastern philosophies or, or whatever. And I, I think that's a full circle we're coming. And thankfully, Medicine 3.0 is being discussed at length in certain circles because again we're we're actually finding the science proves a lot of the old woo-woo stuff that we actually knew was known the whole time. We just didn't have proper proof or context to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that insight there. Really, really fascinating stuff. And 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 it's encouraging to hear that, quite frankly. Because I think again, it just makes too much sense to be not heading into these directions and you know, taking into account all these different factors and 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 how they play a role and how we ultimately present ourselves to the world and how we feel on a daily basis. I do have one other question in the segment here. And it's returning to you, I guess, and uh, and your life within this company and, and what you're doing and your mission and all these different things. And it also kind of returns to this point of like just entrepreneurs as a whole and the journey that they're on. You know, at times like high achievers, they push, push, push themselves right to the limit, right to the maximum point. And Oftentimes, some of these people and their personalities, they might have certain degrees of perfectionism imbued with who they are. 
and maybe, you know, from your, your experiences, part of that, you know, you're a high achiever yourself. I, I'd imagine to, to drive yourself to that level, even in your youth and what you've done across your career, you probably had certain elements there, you know, that, that, that maybe were pushing yourself a little bit too far at certain points, perhaps. But now returning to the present and what you're doing, being self-aware, understanding you know, your body through wearable technologies itself, analyzing this, speaking about it, communicating, you know, helping others better understand all of this. It must be an interesting spot that you're within right now. You, you, you know yourself, perhaps. You also know the science and technology. You're understanding your world much better as you're just kind of speaking about, you know, all these other factors that go into it. What is it like? pulling all of this together and then, you know, managing it, I guess, is what I'm trying to, to drive at here. What is that like for you as a, as, a, as a human, not just as an entrepreneur, but as a, as a person involved in all of this? Well, I think your description there, you pretty much nailed most of my life. And it's, it's interesting reflecting upon even three years ago, maybe even two, about how much of myself I would sacrifice for a vision. And my reference to the, what I mentioned earlier um, regarding that, you know, pr- kind of proposal to have Luke on is some of the unhealthiest, unhappiest people I know are actually solopreneurs or startup entrepreneurs or CEOs um, or C-suite executives. Ah, oh, we put so much pressure on ourselves. Just, it's immense. And a lot of the time, when I have conversations with, with people is we actually say like, where's the pressure coming from? Like you weren't built with a rule book. Like where's the rule book that says you must work 12 hours a day. Like, can, can you please show me the rule book? And, and I just, I often, I laugh because I was swept up in all of this as well for most of my life. When I talk about the rule book around how on earth we think we're supposed to perform, how on earth we're supposed to live, like in all the pressures we put in ourselves, like when I ask, like, can you show me the rule book where it says you must do that? Aren't you writing your own? And I've had people say like, I work so hard throughout the day on my startup and I've got nothing left in the tank for my kids. Like they're growing up, they barely see me or CEOs that are working ridiculous hours and they've got problems with the children. The children's behavior is, you know, just absolute Jekyll and Hyde. Granted, we talked about this a bit earlier off um, record around what hormones do to kids. I've actually got a whole bunch of thoughts around what's going on there. We literally ran my kids' genetics so we can understand how to support their pathways for improved hormone processing, for example. But I think when you sort of start to give yourself space to observe whether this is a life by design or a life by default, it actually is quite confronting. When you also ask yourself, like, what what do you actually want? Like, if you were to write your own rule book, if you were to write your, your best day ever, your best week ever, like, what would it look like? And is it possible that the pressure you're putting on yourself is actually making your life worse. And if you're the one doing it, then if you don't change it, then you're choosing it. And are you okay that you're choosing to treat yourself like this? And is this how you want to treat yourself for the rest of your life? And it's interesting. There is a kind of like idea that 
if a comedian actually heals the wounds of their childhood or, you know, actually heals their trauma, again, trauma I use with rolled eyes because it's so hyper used. But if we heal our patterning, that there's a saying that comedians feel like they'll lose their edge because they're not coming from a place of hate or anger or this, this patterning, right? And I have to admit, over the last year of this kind of emotional work, I'm nowhere near as like high achieving, hmm. <laughs> which actually bothers me a little bit. Cause I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to design my life nine to three. And I'm going to give myself meaningful rest because if I want to do this for the rest of my life, I need to pace myself like a marathon. There you go. Yeah. But that kind of bothers the other version of me. It's yeah, like, right. What are you doing? Yeah. I know. But then it's like, okay, what are the, what are the, the 20% of the things that I do that give me the 80% result. So I just try my best to be way more targeted and focused. And I, I had a client that attended our XX up retreat in September. And we do, you know, full genetic, full genetic augmentation. We, we fit them out with, with um, wearables and we do full genetically guided nutrition. It's four days, three nights at a five-star resort. And then it's like a sort of a three to five month program of follow-up and like curation and care. And what's interesting is she was a classic kind of like go, go, go. She would work 16 to 17 hours a day. And she'd say, look, I love my work. I, I love it. I, I just, this is what I do. And it was interesting. I just spoke to her literally yesterday to follow up. And she says, look, I'm only working seven to eight hours a day, but I'm so much happier and I've actually cleared my schedule of things that actually don't create meaning or purpose to my end goal. And I have coached her to say, where's your laser focus? Like, where are you actually wanting to go? And everything else is just noise. So let's boost the signal for your life and clear the noise. And that in conjunction to getting her body and her mind working better means she's actually so much happier she looks vibrant and like alive and she's like yeah and she can't yarn enough about what we've done which is beautiful but it's like the beauty of that is having almost permission and accountability by someone to say what's your signal and let's dull down the noise and let's get your body working in a way that it's not coming from a place of lack and it's coming from a place of gain so you can actually make better decisions because when you're so tired you can't make great decisions. So it all comes down to this energy equation, right? If you don't have enough energy to make great decisions, then you're not going to make great decisions and you're going to keep putting yourself into the ground, reduce your energy. It's just a cyclical process at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And also too, I, what springs to mind for me is like reprogramming, reprogramming yourself, you know, how you interact with the world. You, know, you have this sort of like set preconditions you were speaking about earlier and you know, maybe this is how I do things. I work 16 hours a day and this is what I do and I love it. I love it all. You know, but the reality of it is like, if that's all you've been doing for the last 20 years, probably a lot of other things that you've just like lost touch with, other passions that you might have had, other things that gave you balance to your life, you know, that you're not even aware of anymore. And like the, the story that you were just sharing there kind of probably, well, I assume speaks to that point, that, that individual rediscovered who they were, that they, they found that by cutting back or cutting out that noise, well, you know, the, the levels of enjoyment, the levels of vitality, and then all these other things kind of come back around with things that you probably just put away. You didn't even notice anymore 
you know, when you just get so caught up into one thing. So I really like that. I think it's, you know, an important lesson. What happens to decline is that it's so slow and and insidious. And if you don't actually know where your endpoint is, even if it's like, I want a life that feels vibrant and I have energy at the end of the day to do something I love. Like what, whatever specific goal it might be, like unless you actually have some type of trajectory, you have no idea if you're like sailing away from it 1% or one degree at a time. And, and that's the hard part is oftentimes we just live so much by default that we end up in a place we never planned. And it's just because just the nature of humans and, and how our bodies work to just shortcut energy. Like, let's just do the easiest, simplest, laziest thing, because quite frankly, our bodies and minds have evolved to expend the least amount of energy to maximize survival. Yeah. And also too, it kind of comes back around to like this holistic look at it all, you know, and like, what, what, what do you want out of your life? You know, okay, well, how can we break that down? Again, on a physiological level, you know, intellectually speaking, how can we bring this all together that's going to work for you? It's going to deliver the results that you want. Could go on and on probably with this this question in this course of discussion, but I do want to slide in one more segment here, a crystal ball segment. And usually this segment is referring to the to the future, trans prediction, so on and so forth. And I understand your background, AI, of course. You know, you have an interest in it. You've also been requested by your country. You've been part of committees as an expert on AI itself. And returning to your company in AI and, and biotech. I'd, I'd imagine AI is going to play a role here, but maybe really quickly you could squeeze in some insights on where that's going right now and what your thoughts are on all of this. The thing that bubbles up the most around AI, and we're talking about just the current AI that exists that we know it, that is, it's not self-propagating or, you know, not that sort of general AI that we kind of all fear because to be frank, no one knows if, when that will happen, and your thoughts on there are 50-50, right? You're either right or you're wrong <laughs> about the about the time horizon, about when things will happen or how it will happen. So I'm not even going to get into that because I, I just don't, I don't know enough around that trajectory to have a, a solid opinion. But what I can talk to is how we're using it. And I think, I think the care that must be had is data privacy. So for example, the easy thing for us to do would be to use a standard open AI chat GBT to do a lot of our work or to do some of our inference work. But we simply don't use that public platform because that is not secure. So we don't upload any PDF of our, our client data. We like all of our own health data. We do not use the standard stuff because there's not enough encryption and data security associated with it. The concern I have is that people are so excited with the GPT, like, and all of the tools that have kind of spun off on it, because it's like, finally, we get intellectual support on things that otherwise have felt too hard to try to interpret or to produce. And so people, we know people uploading their, their genetic data or their health records or whatever it is in this main, main sort of space. But it's like, I have an allergic response to that because it's like, it's your data and you don't know where it's going, where it's being stored, how it's being used. And I understand the value of open source type of data mining, but not when you don't actually realize you are giving permission for it. And 
if something is free, it means because you're the product. Like they're using the data to build the models. And so I think we're going to get more into around some of these litigation points where certain models are using data nobody gave them permission to use. Whose data is it? If you put it into the internet, does that mean you're abdicating any kind of ownership? Well, I don't know if anybody really signed up for that. And most of the terms and conditions are so complicated that we just all go like accept. We don't even read it. So for us, we're being really careful around putting it into a very secure Azure platform that's been built for health data and making sure it's behind the net. Now, I know some people might say, well, Microsoft, is that the best option? You know, either, who knows? You know, I just feel like a lot of these hyperscaler storage companies are all a little bit suspicious if you really break it down. But the thing that really bugs me and I really want to see happen is more um, common sense terms of use. So I would love to see by law countries put in regulation that all terms of use, while you can have all the screeds of legalese at the bottom, you must use common language that a seven-year-old would understand at the very top about what you're actually agreeing to. The fact that we don't actually know what we are agreeing to in most technology these days is horrifying. And even like free Chrome games, like you actually read their terms of service. It's like they own your data and you just have to be okay with that. And so that's the thing that bothers me the most about AI. There are so many other beautiful outcomes to utilizing tools like this. But again, it's like, it's a tool, like a hammer is a tool. A hammer could be used to kill someone or it could be used to build a house. How you regulate or enforce or guide certain activities with that tool will be key. Yeah, that that's quite frankly, you know, where the, the conversations invariably go whenever I bring up AI and whatever industry we're yeah. focusing on with the guests is, is that is that look at it as a tool. And that's kind of the exciting and scary thing right now is, is how are we going to be using it? What type of rules, what type of you know, models we're going to be building in and around it to, uh, to, to either leverage it or potentially have yeah. it go haywire on us. But uh, yeah. Our 50-year vision is probably a bit too late, but our 50-year vision is to create a platform and an environment that allows inorganic and organic intelligence to symbiotically work together for a better future. Organic intelligence is obviously human, made up of carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen. Inorganic is artificial intelligence. So how do we, as the co-writer of an artificial intelligence, actually be better, better human beings that can think more clearly, think more about other people's, be able to observe their own lens, like everything that I've been speaking about, how do we make them better humans and become the humankind we actually should be to create a, an inorganic intelligence. And so again, I think I wish we could start this 15 years prior because I think that needed to happen as we started to build the AI that we are. But again, we hope that the work that we're doing will actually help create a better future and that symbiosis where actually the AI is better because we as humans become better too. That might be a nice point to wrap things up here, Rachel. But I, I must say, it's been an absolutely engaging conversation. I've enjoyed this from start to finish, and I know listeners will as well. So thanks so much for all your time and insights. It's been a true, true pleasure. 
Thank you so much, Christopher. It's wonderful talking with you too. Now, for those interested in learning more about Rachel and her work, you can do so via LinkedIn, also X or formerly Twitter. You can also find her at her website, Tailored Tech. And for reference, all this information, including links, will be in the show notes. And also, hey, I mean, if you like today's show, please be sure to share. Tell a friend. You can also show further support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing wherever you access your podcasts. Lastly, head on over to YouTube. I will have some highlights from the audio version. You can check that out. And if you do, hey, I'd really appreciate a like or subscribe. And finally, don't forget to join us on the next episode of Life As A, where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details of professions and the people behind them. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. Until next time, stay curious about life and living.